Blog Talk Radio. Divey's Late Night. You make me want to throw my picture out the window. Then I'm empty out the dress the phone pole. Break my knees so I can move. Cause you were going to lose above the rules. I want to put your number on the call block. Have a fulfill. Make my email stop. Cause you were going to lose. It's not hot that you be calling me, trusting me, paging my beef, but you just not stop. And it's not hot that you be leaving me messages every ten minutes and then you stop by. When I first met you, you were cool, but it was game you had me fooled. Cause 20 minutes after I gave you my number, you already had my milk by fool. So what? You bought a pair of shoes, but now I guess I owe you. Oh, you have to call that much you do. I give them back to be do with you. And so what? Uh, well, I'm gonna like you. Like well, you. Now I guess it's When I'm blocking your phone number, you call me over your best friend's house. Hello, dudes and dudes. Welcome to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic. I'll tell you what's not hot, the skyrocketing cost of insulin. And we're going to be talking about that all night with music from Destiny's Child, courtesy of Sony Music. Now, I know a lot of you have been waiting for us to play Beyonce. So it is the year of the diva. We thought we'd surprise you. With tonight uh, on tonight's podcast because we're marking the 20th anniversary of their second studio album for Destiny's Child entitled The Writing's on the Wall. This breakout success featured mega hits like Say My Name, Bills, 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 and Jumpin' Jumpin'. Essence Magazine referred to this album as a masterpiece in black femininity and women's empowerment. I'd like to aid patient empowerment to that list tonight because Destiny's Child's song Bills, Bills, Bills is actually... What inspired tonight's conversation about the escalating cost of insulin, which is putting millions of people living with diabetes into desperate situations, such as rationing their medications, acquiring insulin on the black market, and filling their prescriptions by having to travel to Canada or Mexico? What's behind the rising cost? What can you do to fight back? And how can you cut down on the cost of your insulin? Are the topics I'm going to be covering tonight with my guests, including. T1 International's U.S. Advocacy Manager, Allison Bailey, along with Marianne Hordewitz, Jessica Clark, and Patricia Addy-Gentle. Please take a minute right now to check out 5 Equals 10 Men's Underwear Merchandise. 5 Equals 10 is donating 10% of their company's profits to DivaBedic. Help us make the world a better place. Go to visit divabedic.org to find out more details. Okay, back to the music, Beehive. Uh, listeners, <laughs> the writings on the wall entered the charts at number six uh, when it debuted. It had a playful Godfather-inspired sketch. The first single off the album, though, came in the charts on Billboard at number 84, but within five quick weeks, it went right to the top. It became a number one song in the country. It's written by Kevin Shakespeare Briggs along with Candy Burgess from uh, Escape, which I think most of us now know as one of the real housewives of Atlanta. Uh, this song is credited with bringing a new attitude to Justice's Child. It's also bringing a new attitude to Divey's Late Night Tonight. Here's Bill's 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 courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. You try to live for nothing type of brother. Silly me, why haven't I found another? A baller, when times get hard, needs someone to help me out. Instead of a scrub like you who don't know what a man's about. Can't pay my bills, can't pay my telephone bills, can't pay my
Well, welcome back to Cubby's Late Night. Did you know the price of insulin has nearly tripled from 2002 to 2013, according to a new study? People with type 1 diabetes pay an average of $5,705 for insulin in 2016, which is nearly double what they paid in 2012, according to Healthcare Cost Institute. And that lack of affordable insulin may be affecting an estimated 40 million people by the year 2030. Here to talk more about that is T1 International's U.S. Advocacy Manager, Allison Bailey. Hello, Allison. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Allison, it's such an important topic, and I'm really glad you're here right before uh, November, uh, National Diabetes Awareness Month, because we want to get all the divas activated in this important cause. But before we talk about the cost of insulin, just tell us a little bit about T1 International for those people who aren't familiar with your organization and what your mission is. Yeah, of course. So T1 International is a is a fairly small grassroots organization. We started in 2013. Um we started, and then after that, we started the Insulin for All movement in the lead up to World Diabetes Day in 2014. Um, it was started as a campaign just to to draw attention to the cause, and has since really expanded into a global movement. Um, T1 International does not accept donations from pharmaceutical companies or any other company that would compromise our message. So we're very passionate about, you know, getting the word out about this important problem and advocating for for patients worldwide who are in need of. Um, diabetes supplies, including insulin. Great. I want to go right to why this is so important, because there's been so many heartbreaking stories about uh, people we've lost because of rationing of insulin. Just before we started this podcast tonight, you were just telling me that in June alone, we lost four people under the age of 32. And I've, I've been, um, I think one of the cases I've been hearing the most about is Alex Smith's story, which uh, he was too old to be on his mother's insurance. He was working at a restaurant that did not offer health insurance. When he went to buy his insulin at the pharmacy, he was told it would cost $1,300. He only had $1,000, so he walked away. He was one week or a few days from his paycheck. And now his mother, Nicole Smith-Holt, is um, a very progressive advocate. And I'm just, you know, these stories are horrifying. So tell us a little bit of the stories you've heard just so we could get people inspired to why they need to get involved in this cause. Well, absolutely. Um, Nicole Smith-Holt is Q International's charity ambassador. So we're definitely uh, familiar with her story and, and so thankful that she's willing to share time and time again this, this really heartbreaking story with the world. Um, so this past uh, September, on September 14th, we actually held a vigil outside of the Eli Lilly headquarters in Indianapolis where the families of nine patients who have lost their lives due to insulin rationing spoke. And, you know, there are nine that we know of. We, we know based on statistics, um, Yale did a study, Team International, uh, we also did a, an out-of-pocket cost survey, and the CDC have all done surveys and studies recently that have shown that a large portion of people are rationing. Both Yale and Team International found that about one in four, the CDC found about 18% of people ration insulin. And of course, that's very dangerous. It can lead to decay and dying, and in several cases it has. So we only know the stories of the people who have willingly, um, whose families have come forward. Um, and we know that there are probably more that we don't even know about. But like I said, there were nine at this vigil that we had, and there were a few other families that weren't even able to be there. So we know there are several several in their 20s as well, because, of course, that's when they age off their parents' insurance in many cases. So, All right. Very now, what tragic. do you say to um, – thank you for sharing that. What do you say to people who say, like Eli Lilly saying, they're offering coupons and discounts for people, and, you know, Walmart offering a cheaper brand of generic insulin. I mean, the optics on that look like, why would anyone have to ration? There are options out there uh, that are cheaper. Why do people have to go to such desperate measures? Right. So with the, the coupons, and then also a lot of times they have helplines, um, these are um, 
So coupons are not necessarily going to be available forever. Um, also, they don't necessarily take a huge percentage off the cost. I personally had a coupon at one point for my insulin, and it was still, even with a $100 off coupon, it was still quite expensive. It was over $400 for my month and a half supply. So that's still, you know, very inexpensive. We've heard from several advocates who have called some of the helplines that it's it's tedious and they have to, you know, prove their financial status and there's a lot of paperwork involved. Um, so it's it's more complicated than it's often made out to be. Uh, so that's that's one reason as far as the helplines and the coupons. With Walmart insulin, actually a few of the patients that we know of that died, including Josh Wilkerson and Megan Carter and a few others, they actually had switched to Walmart insulin, um, but they still ended up passing away because, you know, human insulin and analog insulin, they're very different. Um, and, you know, it's often made out to be like, oh, just go to Walmart and get this insulin. But of course, if you're switching formulas, you need to probably have the advice of a, of a medical expert. You need to be able to check your blood sugar more often. And a lot of times if people are, you know, in such dire straits that they're, you know, struggling to afford insulin, they may not be able to afford extra test trips or be able to afford a trip to the doctor. Um, also, it just creates this, you know, this split between the haves and the have-nots that isn't, you know, in any other developed country in the world, this isn't an issue that, you know, the people who have enough money are able to get the analog formulas and the people who don't are only, you know, getting this human insulin formula, which, you know, it, it has, it's not quite the same. And for many patients with type 1 diabetes, we've, we've found that it doesn't work quite as well for us. And um, we posted this question today online for on our diabetic Facebook pages of who do you think is responsible for the skyrocketing cost of insulin? I want to ask you that question uh, from all the work you've done with T1 International. Who, who are you pointing the finger at or the hand or who, who do you look at to be involved in um, making this such an issue and not really uh, rising to the challenge of making this more affordable for people. Right, absolutely. So there are a lot of um, players in this that, that are very problematic, definitely. Um, but we at least start with the manufacturers. I mean, they're the ones who, who put out the list price in the first place. And, you know, while pharmacy benefit managers and insurers, I mean, they're definitely, you know, have a hand in this as well. But for patients who don't have insurance, they're not dealing with insurance companies or pharmacy benefit managers. They're dealing with the list price that's set by the pharmaceutical companies. And those are the people who are pricing them out of the insulin that they need to live. And do you think the shame and blame around a diagnosis by the uh, – about diabetes by the general public as part of this too, that, you know, so many people, there's a lot of people on type two, with type 2 diabetes who have to go on insulin therapy who don't want to do it. They have a lot of myths and misconceptions that I'll be talking about with Patricia Addy Gentle at the end of the show. But I wonder, you know, if people think like you did it to yourself, that's why you have to take insulin. If you were healthy or healthier, uh, you wouldn't have to do that. And again, I have a brother with type 1 diabetes. I don't, I'm not agreeing with that. I'm just saying, like, when you look at the bigger issue going on about why people aren't jumping on this bandwagon, because it's so scary what's going on with people, I'm just curious what else you point to outside of these uh, manufacturers and the middlemen are part of the problem. Um, well, I think there is some societal apathy um, about this issue. Uh, you know, there really is a lot of misunderstanding about, you know, type 1 and type 2 in general. There's a lot of fat shaming. There's a lot of, there's a lot of problems that go along with it. And I, I, I do wonder if part of the reason that the public at large hasn't been more angry about this like they were about EpiPens is because that there is this mis misunderstanding about what diabetes is and whether we caused it ourselves from eating badly or something. Um, of course, that's incorrect, and we try to educate as much as possible, but you know, when you're going up against years and years of diabetes jokes, it's not always that easy. Um, we also unfortunately have seen, like, it's a bit problematic that we've seen that some companies, uh, some patient advocacy organizations are a bit more willing to accept money from pharmaceutical companies and so may not be quite as vocal about insulin prices as they could be. Um, and that's not to say they don't do great work, but it is a bit concerning that when, you know, you're speaking for patients that you're not speaking to this 
Um, and of course, in the long term, a cure is very important, but in the immediate future, we need to live. So insulin affordability matters very much. Well, and I, you know, you brought up a good point. Like people are outraged about the vaping and the administration, the Trump administration is totally behind that. But the quick math on seven people dying from vaping versus what we, you just discussed very quickly amounting to about the same amount of people, if not more, dying from rationing makes me have a cause for, you know, let's do something. So I'm wondering, uh, talk a little bit about the lobbyists, because I do think this is a complicated issue and people don't know where to go. And T1 International has been across the board, not only with those protests of Eli Lilly, but just doing other things on Capitol Hill. And, and talk a little bit about politicians and how we, as a general public and our diabetes late night listeners, could get involved and where we should put our energy into fighting this. Um, definitely. So, uh, so there are a lot of politicians out there who, who accept uh, donations from pharmaceutical companies, often these same politicians, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell for one. Um, it's questionable whether he'll allow any of the, um, any of the legislation that's so far been proposed to, to move forward. I mean, politics these days, it's, it's pretty, you know, crazy, but it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see whether he allows any of the proposed legislation on um, drug prices to go anywhere. But um, just in general, you know, definitely voting for people who, who find uh, insulin affordability and drug price affordability in general, um, that's very important. Um, and also just, you know, knowing who is, who is backing uh, particular politicians is important. I mean, Open Secrets is a website that you can check out to see, you know, who um, politicians are getting a lot of their donations from. So that is just something to consider, especially as we move into 2020. And what politicians are on our side? I mean, who who should, you know, it's always great to know who is actually on the good fight. Are there any politicians that stand out to you? I know there's a lot of legislation that's been slowly moving through. There's a lot of legislation across the country on this topic, but there's also, um, I think, legislation in Colorado, I thought, that was moving through about pricing. Yeah. Um, so the legislation in Colorado, really quick, that's a copay cap. So for patients who have insurance, it caps the price at $100. Um, a lot of the headlines kind of made it seem like it was everybody and the governor. I mean, we definitely appreciate this legislation, but the governor said the days of insulin rationing are over. And if it's not covering the uninsured, then that's not true. Um, so there are definitely, you know, in each state, there are politicians who are, who are definitely um, on our side and, and see the importance of this on a federal level. Um, there are several politicians who, who see this as a big problem. Um, T1 International, we, we try to be nonpartisan, um, but I will say that, for example, Senator Bernie Sanders took a caravan of, of um, advocates up to Canada to purchase insulin, and um, actually Senator Chuck Grassley, who's a Republican, he um, is kind of bucking the trend of, uh, of some things and kind of going against his own party um, for the bill that he put out. Um, Senator Elizabeth Warren is backing um, like the public production of insulin. I mean, there are a lot of interesting ideas out there to help solve the problem. Um, again, whether any of them will move forward right now with the way politics is so partisan and everything, it, it's unclear. But there are a lot of politicians out there on both sides of the aisle who see this as an important problem and, you know, who are willing to move this forward. All right, and going into November, National Diabetes Awareness Month, what can we do to get involved in the Insulin for All fight? And what, what's right now on the top priority list for your organization? So T1 International has 34 chapters here in the United States. Uh, you can One way to get involved is to join one of those chapters. Um, uh, our chapters are fighting on the state level for transparency legislation, for copay cap legislation, um, and also putting on like rallies and events. And, uh, you know, we did do a caravan to Canada one time, things to draw attention to it. So one of the main things I would say is definitely get involved with your local insulin for all chapter. Um, if, if there is one, like I said, 34 states, or you can reach out to us if you're interested in starting one, if your state doesn't have one. Um, also, you know, 
being uh, politically active, calling your uh, your legislators and telling them, um, you know, that this affects you, telling them your story and and how, you know, this affects you, this affects members of your community, and it's important that they act because, you know, too many people have already died. Uh, great advice. Um, Allison, can you stick around after the next song? Because I'm going to be bringing in our next guest, Marianne Hordowitz, and uh, she's a certified diabetes educator, registered dietitian. And I want to talk a little bit about going to Canada for medications. And I'd love to hear, uh, since you were just talking about Bernie Sanders and the Republican politician about this, what it's really like and what it's been for people. I've seen a lot of coverage on that. So if you could stick around, I'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, the next song coming up, along with Allison Bailey, I guess, is that urges men and women to emotionally be independent and find their life outside their partners because part of being young is having some fun. So let's listen to Destiny's Child, Jumpin' Jumpin' as part of the Year of the Diva, courtesy of Sony Music. Ladies, leave your man at home. The club is full of ballers and their pockets full of gold. And now you fellas leave your girl with a friend. Because it's 1130 and the club is jumping, jumping. I'm just really excited to be on your podcast, and I hail from the great state of Illinois, land of Lincoln. Oh, there you go. I love it. All right. So uh, you heard me, you heard a little bit of our conversation with Allison, and Allison is here right now. I know that one of the, we want to talk about how people could lower the cost, and one of the thoughts you had was actually taking a bus or caravan to Canada to get uh, much cheaper insulin. So um, before I talk to you about it, Marianne, Allison, T1 International has been a part of these caravans. What is that really like? Um, is that so, for me? Yeah. Or, uh, Allison first. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. So uh, these caravans to Canada, we definitely stress that this is not a long-term solution. Um, for many patients, uh, you know, they don't live near a border or, um, you know, they don't have a passport or they can't get the time off from work. But yes, we, uh, we, organized a caravan to Canada at the end of June and also members of our uh, chapters, especially the Minnesota and Michigan chapters have taken part in some other caravans as well, including the caravan um, to Canada with Bernie Sanders. Um, from, you know, from what we found, they're just, they're able to go across the border, um, walk into a pharmacy and get insulin without a prescription because it's across the counter. Um, of course, you know, there are regulations as far as, like, when you come back, but 
generally, if you declare at the border that um, that you're getting insulin, it's legal from what we've heard. Um, of course, there's some gray area there, so we always tell people to be a bit cautious. But um, it's generally the same product. It has a different name, but, you know, it's, it's very similar, you know, across the border. And just it's been so shocking for so many of our advocates who have gone there this thicker shock of, of knowing that if they were in the United States, they'd pay perhaps thousands of dollars, whereas in Canada, you'd pay substantially less, and, and the same in Mexico as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Marianne, I mean, I was watching something on YouTube of one of the local TV stations who covered the caravan, and they said that the patient spent $2,000 in Canada which roughly would be 24000 in the U.S. to purchase insulin. So what are your thoughts on this idea of traveling to Canada to get uh, to purchase insulin? You know, I, I have to take my hat off to Allison. She just gave a very great summary of that process, and I agree with her a thousand percent. I want to give her a virtual hug through the telephone lines here for that um, because I've worked in diabetes for over 30 years, and I know the heartbreak of this whole insulin saga. Um, a couple more things. For the purpose of this podcast, I did look up some more some current information about getting it out of Canada. And what I found out is that um, at the border, when you're in Canada and you're getting it without a prescription and you're coming through border checkpoints, um, if it's a 90-day supply on insulin or any kind of prescription drug, a United States prescription drug, coming, you're coming from Canada to the U.S., if it's limited to a 90-day supply, and you have a letter from your doctor or a prescription, even though you don't need one in Canada, and it's a 90-day supply, you show it to the border agent, it's usually not a problem getting it then across back into the U.S. So that, that note from the doctor, the prescription, and uh, the 90-day supply. But as Allison said, it's a gray area. I think technically, legally, in the U.S., it's, it's considered illegal to cross it over the border from a foreign country into the U.S., but from what I read recently for the benefit of this podcast is that there's been no legal action against anyone and, and border security kind of turned the other way. But um, the Canadian laws permit, permit them, they're allowed by Canadian law to sell it to foreigners like U.S. citizens or European citizens. And then also I want to add, though, and I'm sure Allison knows this, that there's um, websites where if you don't want to travel to Canada – you can get your insulin through Canadian pharmacies on, online. And I actually did that for a cat that had diabetes uh, that I owned. And I went through CanadianPharmacy.com, but there are several of these pharmacies. Uh, and when you go on their online pharmacy, you do need a U.S. prescription. And you fax it to them or mail it to them. Um, and then it you know, takes a while to get it. It comes on dry ice. And, again, they can legally do that and send it across the border to your home. And I, yeah, I did that. Uh, I was just going to say to add to that, we, we encourage people to do their due diligence. There have been a few of those online pharmacies that, like, um, that have been unscrupulous and have sold fake products. So we just definitely urge people to, to do their due diligence with that. But we know that those exist, and, and they have been an asset to a lot of patients with diabetes. Yeah, and you know it was well, interesting. The, the, the really basic question is, why is it so much cheaper in Canada for insulin to purchase? Uh, let, let's um, add into that, and Allison can jump in. Um, what, from what I'm reading, um, the the Canadian laws limit the price of any kind of drug, which we don't do in this in this country. It's there's a country law in Canada where there's a ceiling. How a ceiling to how much a pharmacy or any drug manufacturer or outlet can charge for a medicine. There is a ceiling, and that's a law in Canada. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so substantially cheaper. Allison probably has more information. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, that's accurate. Uh, the Canadian government negotiates directly with pharmaceutical companies on prices. And actually, uh, there was a bill recently put out by uh, Representative Nancy Pelosi, um, and her plan would allow for uh, the negotiation of up to 250 different prescriptions a year, including insulin. Um, you know, again, with legislation, it's, it's never clear whether or not that's going to pass, but, um, you know, they are kind of taking the lead from some of these other countries because in most other developed countries, they do negotiate directly with, with these uh, pharmaceutical companies, and we don't do that here. Yeah, and what is, uh, 
Mary, what, did, what about Mexico, if I wanted to go south? Did you find out any information about going to Mexico for cheaper insulin? You know, I know that's um, I know that's available. Mexican insulin from Mexico is available. I think the same kind of precautions and gray areas exist because it's considered a foreign country to the United States. Um, Allison, do you have any other info specific about Mexico? Um, well, in general, I would say yes, that's accurate. So there are three companies, uh, Sanofi, Eli Lilly, and Novo Nordisk, that actually control 90% of the of the insulin supply in the world. So insulin in a lot of other countries is actually fairly identical to what we have here. Um, yeah, pretty much the same precautions. We've actually, uh, our Arizona Insulin for All um, former chapter leader actually went down to Mexico and then uh, went on HBO and shared her uh, shared her experience with, with Vice News um, because, yeah, it, it is something that you can do in Mexico as well. Uh, of course, yeah, be cautious, but it's it's the same kind of gray area thing where, you know, a lot of patients do it and are allowed to do it. Yeah, so is the law right. in Canada I, I want allowed... to go over this whole oh, – I'm sorry, Marion, go on. I'm yeah, I just it's, – it's I think it's really important for your guests to understand that Canadian law allows um, Canadian or Canada pharmacies and prescription outlets to sell it to foreigners – but bring it into the we have here in the United States laws about getting it over the border. So um, exactly. get over the border, but Canada doesn't have those restrictions. They can sell it to people in other countries. And uh, what I've read is that both in Canada and Mexico, they have their equivalent to the FDA that we have here in this United States, the Food and Drug Administration. They have an equivalent regulatory body that does um, analyze, research, approve, regulate the quality um, and, um, of drugs. They, they have their equivalent agencies in those other countries. And that kind of adds a little comfort to us U.S. people who get our drugs, any kind of drugs, across the border. Yeah, and actually, Miriam, what can we do that? if I don't want to travel to Canada? I mean, to buy it, to get affordable insulin. What else can I do? Um, uh, that, you know what? I love. I was waiting for you to answer that. Ask that question. Um, there are many, many things you can do, and there is a website. Um, if you just put in, and I'll go through it right now. But if you, if your guest just Google, how can I find or purchase affordable insulin? One of the first hits you're going to get is U.S. News and World Report that has a summary of how to do that. And I'm just going to review that really quick because it's a really nice summary. First, there's a website called Benefits Checkup. Benefits Checkup altogether, those words without any spaces. And it's, it's a free interactive online service from the National Council on Aging. You plug in, I did it today, you plug in your zip code, your age, and other demographic info, and it comes up with a variety of benefit and assistance programs for um, injectable meds, um, oral meds, and even like housing and, and legal services and insurance services. So it's called Benefits Checkup. And then as Allison said, there's manufacturer savings cards, and you, you do not need to meet a low-income threshold for those. Um, my own husband takes an oral diabetes drug, and he doesn't meet a low-income threshold, and he was able to get a savings card um, for one of these diabetes drugs for a whole year at zero cost. I mean, unbelievable. And he didn't meet. Yeah. It's just amazing that those are out there. I want to go back to Allison because out of respect for the people we've lost uh, this year and, and past uh, to rationing, some of these things are really barriers to getting care, right? Because I would assume someone in a desperate situation uh, is looking for discount cards, looking for things, and I think that's great advice, Marianne, but this, this could be problematic. Did you say that earlier, yeah. and can you explain about that? Um, well, I would just say in general that, I mean, what is – what is available is kind of a, a patchwork system that, you know, it's it's up to the patient basically that they have to go and search for these things. And, you know, the coupons, yes, they are sometimes available. Like I said, in my personal experience, I had one that was $100 off a prescription, but it was still pretty substantially expensive for me. Um, and then some of these other, you know, things out there, you know, they, they do look at your uh, – your personal income. Um, so just in general, 
I would just say that the things are available. They are available, and we want patients to know that, and we want patients to get this help where they can, and even to know that Walmart insulin exists because we don't want to see anyone dying from, from rationing insulin. But the what's currently available clearly isn't good enough. Then the information about this isn't getting to the patients or, you know, name a scenario, but it's not getting to the people who need to hear it. So, you know, it's just, it's a patchwork system that just isn't working well enough to keep people alive. You know, I, I want to add to that. that. Marion, I really respect you as a certified diabetes educator and registered dietitian. I think you're one of the best out there. What do you say to someone who's listening who wants to ration their insulin? I mean, this is something that people were trying to do. Is it, is it possible to ration my insulin and uh, and and go on for a while dealing with this issue and, and trying to really not not having the available not having the funding to uh, purchase insulin. You know, rationing your insulin, um, which is at, for the audi- sake of the audience, it means taking less than what the doctor, your provider, has told you to take. You're taking less. So if he told you to take 10 units of um, long-acting insulin in the evening, like glargine and you ration it and take only five that is not suggested it is not a good idea because again that can lead to high blood sugar and depending on your age and your other complications that could be devastating Uh, but what can what is a methodology to help with the affordability is to talk to your provider about using a different type of insulin you know there's certain insulins i know allison would agree with me that are still branded um, and generics are not allowed in this country to be produced because they have a certain amount of time that they still have their brand name and nobody can copy them. And so if you're on one of those branded ones and there is no generic, that's really expensive. So talk to the doctor and say, is there a generic, a lower-cost one, in that same category of insulin I'm taking, rapid-acting, long-acting, short-acting, medium-acting like NPH, that's more generic, has been around the U.S. for a long time, that is cheaper, so that you don't have to uh, reduce your, the number of units you're taking at a certain time. Um, and that, that, again, was the case with my husband, who's on two injectables, but they're not insulin, and two orals. And when he got on the generics, which worked just fine, he saved 50% right off the top. But I just wanted to make, you know, what these people who go on keto diets and say, I'm going to I'm just going to cut out all the carbs and I'll be fine. You know, again, um, it's interesting you should ask that. I'm giving um, a live podium presentation on that subject in about two weeks to a group of diabetes educators and dietitians. And I did a lot of research on keto diets. Um, They do help to bring down your blood sugar because of their very low um, content of carbohydrate, but again, you're you're running into a risky proposition because if you, if you're not uh, decreasing your insulin with the ketogenic diet, you run the risk then of going into severe hypoglycemia. So you've got to balance. You've got to really talk to your provider about decreasing your amount of um, basal and bolus insulin mealtime and in-between mealtime insulin when you're on that keto diet. And then you have to watch very carefully all the time for symptoms of low blood sugar. So I'm not saying, you, you know, it cannot be done. I'm saying there's, there's extra precautions that need to be taken, and insulin generally has to be decreased. And there's more of an awareness of testing your blood sugar more often and looking for signs and symptoms of hypos. And from what I'm reading, too, Allison and Max and your guests, is that sustainability is an issue. Because any kind of diet you go on that doesn't align with a human being's natural tendency to eat the way humans eat in this country because it's so off the charts, sustainability is usually an issue. They just can't sustain those kind of diets. Great advice. All right, both of you stick around. We'll be right back. Um, and when we do come back, we're going to find out firsthand what it's like to live with type 1 diabetes without insurance when I talk to my guest, Jessica. But first, we're going to go back to the writing on the wall by Destiny's Child. Um, they started out as a quartet, but by the time Say My Name... Uh, the video was released. They were pared down to only three. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that confusion with the group later on. But right now, let's listen to Say My Name by Destiny's Child, courtesy of Sony Music. If you took it there, first of all, let me say, I am not the one to sit around. 
I hear from other people that there's help and, and people want to help you and make this better. And I wanted to switch gears to Allison. I don't mean to throw anyone under the bus, but, you know, uh, JDRF funding for the cure, raising millions of dollars every year to find the cure, seems like we should be saving lives right now, um, not to postpone research for a cure. But this is dire straits for people, like Jessica just described, where you're having to choose if you want to stay in your job or pursue your dream based on your health needs. Um, what do you say to that? Because people listening are curious, like, why not the ADA and JDRF, are, why aren't they tackling this? Or maybe they are, and I'm wrong. But what, is, what would you say from your perspective? Um, well, from our perspective, I would say that um, we definitely feel that, you know, the ADA and the JDRF have both done some great work and are doing some great work. Um, I know that there has been frustration within the patient community that they haven't been quite as vocal about the insulin pricing crisis as some people um, would have wanted. Um, there definitely, you know, more and more we are hearing from the JDRF and ADA. Uh, I think the JDRF possibly uh, recently put out a website about it um, or a page on their website about it. Um, you know, so the information is is out there. I, I do wish that they would be a bit more vocal um, and that also, you know, just to work with organizations like T1 International because, you know, there are so many of us in the United States who are, you know, we're here, we're out there, we're being very vocal about this, and we, we'd love to, you know, we'd love to work with them, honestly, on, on this issue. So. And Jessica, in, you did a lot of research over the last couple of days in preparation for the podcast. What are some of the things that you found alarming or you were frustrated by? Well, we have Marianne and Allison on the phone. I'm curious to know uh, what you might want to ask. Oh, I'm. Oh, I am. I, I am so heartbroken and upset. I, I knew it was an issue, and I read into it slightly, but doing all of the copious amounts of reading I did, it just it it, it blew my mind. And there's a couple things that, you know, the sacrifice in jobs, people staying in relationships um, that bothered me. I I kept thinking about how now there's people, to what you all spoke of earlier, that are starving themselves either of insulin or actual food in 2019 to stay alive as a type 1 or any diabetic that was essentially the same treatment that was prescribed in 1920 before insulin was discovered. People were starving themselves to stay alive. So I don't know how we can go that long and make that little progress. Um, a fact that blew, again, just blew me out of the water was Atlantis, um, the manufacturers of Atlantis have 74 different patent applications that ensured that they would have no competition for 37 years. Um, and that out of, in 2014, out of the top three insulin manufacturers, they had 19 active patents on insulin alone. And I just, those kinds of things, and that that's able to happen without generics or without competition just really blows me away. But to another point, to insulin for all, with JDRF and ADA, I think that ADA and JDRF are wonderful vehicles for awareness and educating um, but these grassroots movements like Insulin for All, um, I know there's a bunch of type ones that I follow on social media that bring a lot of great attention to things. Um, type ones, we are not typically quiet, stand down, take it, you know, like we have to take every day differently and we will fight. So I just, to everything that those grassroots movements do and bring is just phenomenal and we need so much more emphasis on those projects and Diabetics standing up for themselves and, and what they deserve, what is a human right. Hello. Uh-oh, that means trouble. Patricia Eddie Gentle just entered the room. Hi, Patricia. You've got tonight's game with you, don't you? How are you? Hi. Uh, so, Patricia Eddie Gentle, you've got a new game, I heard, called Say My Name Game, and you're going to test everyone's health IQ including Marianne, Allison, and Jessica's tonight with some inf interesting information about insulin? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're ready. <laughs> You're, it's a year of the divas, ladies. We've got all three of you in hot seats right now. So um, we're going to ask you a quick question and get your answer. And then, Patricia, 
you're standing by with official documentation, courtesy of Jeopardy. I'm only joking, to help our listeners <laughs> out to learn more in a fun new way. All right, we're going to start with you, Allison. Your question, are you ready? Okay. Are you there, Allison? Yes, okay. I'm there. Yep. We, I, You know, before we go into this, we should just tell everyone, you are living with type 1 diabetes, correct? You said that earlier. Yes, I've had it for 19 years. All right, well, I just want to make sure we mention that to everybody listening that we've got another diva better on the line, and that's so exciting. All right, so in, in 1923, how much did Frederick Banting and Charles Best sell the patent for insulin for? Was it A, $1, B, $1,000, or C, $100,000? It was A, $1. That's our ding, ding. Oh, there you go. You got it right. All right. Well, you know, Jessica Clark just brought up an interesting point about this kind of uh, these new patents coming out and alluding to the fact that because there's new patents, they're able to kind of increase the prices. Can you talk to that a little bit? Oh, me? Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in general, uh, um so yeah, ha- having all those patents on the on the insulin, um, it really like discourages competition. Actually, you know, uh, Jess was specifically talking about uh, Sanofi and the fact that they have so 74 different patents. Actually, Mylan, um, another pharmaceutical company, recently lost a bid to uh, to overturn those patents. Um, so I mean, it just kind of the more that these patents exist, the more that you know affordable insulin um, and affordable analog insulin is just going to remain unavailable. So there needs to be, you know, some good old fashioned, you know, like business busting or whatever, like they did in the early 1900s where, you know, the cost will go down because, you know, these monopolies need to be, you know, potentially split up. Right, we should just tell everyone again. In 1923, Banding Best uh, were awarded the patent for insulin they sold to the University of Toronto for a dollar. Marianne, you're in the hot seat. You had a cat living with diabetes. You mentioned that earlier. True or false? So you can I'm here. This, uh, and pet insulin is the same. The insulin you give to your pets and humans is exactly the same. Is that true or false? Um, it can be true. It can be true, depending on if you're veterinarian, what she or he is prescribing. Most of the time, that insulin for animals is the is the same type of insulin that humans will use. The answer is 99% yes. 99.99% yes. <laughs> and I, I assume you're going to agree with her, right, Patricia? What are you going to say? Well, I guess the other part of that, the um, – Point one percent, I guess, is that it can be a less concentrated form of insulin than what we use with humans, and so it can be a yes or a no. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I talked to my veterinarian. This is Marianne about um, for Shelby, my cat. We talked about the different kinds: the rapid acting, the long acting, the intermediate acting, and she recommended for my cat because my cat was older and morbidly obese. She recommended the um, the Glargine, um, and again, I got it out of Canada because it was unaffordable here, and uh, it only came in pens. This is interesting for your audience, um, out of the Canada pharmacy, only in pens. But can I had to inject her with an ins- with a, a a needle and a syringe? I couldn't use a pen on her because of her skin and her fur. So all you have to do is open the pen and take the cartridge, insulin cartridge out, and put your needle as a rubber tip. You put your needle in the cartridge. You know, um, just take up the insulin you need, how many units, right in your in your um, syringe, and then inject the cat with the traditional syringe. So it works out really, really well. All right, great way. Thank you. All right, so Jessica Clark, you're in the hot seat. It's a two-part question. Are you ready for your first part? I'm ready. What animal played a key role in the discovery of insulin? Was it A, a cat, B, a dog, C, a horse? Be a pig. This is going all the way oh back to uh, 1922 with Banting and Best. Which, uh, what animal played a key role in the discovery of insulin? Was it A, a cat, B, a dog, C, a horse, D, a pig? I'm 
I was am teetering, but I believe it was pig. You're going to say D, a pig? Uh, she's I think it was that or dog. What, do you wanna, what are you saying? I said I was, I feel like it's a pig or a dog, but I don't, I don't remember. Allison, what do you think? Is it a pig or a dog or a horse or a cat? A dog. Mm-hmm. Are you 100% behind that? Yeah, I'm 100% okay. on that. It was a dog. Now, this oh, yeah. Go with your gut instinct. <laughs> All right, but that's okay. Here's the second part of the question, and you could phone a friend called Allison Bailey if you'd like tonight. What type <laughs> of dog was involved in the discovery of insulin? Was it A, a golden retriever, B, a beagle, C, a German shepherd, or D, a terrier? What type of dog was involved in the discovery of insulin? Was it A, a golden retriever, B, a beagle, C, a German shepherd, or D, a terrier? Well, first of all, I think you found the only things I have not yet retained from all of my research. <laughs> I'm going to phone a friend for sure. <laughs> so you're going to ask Allison? Yes. Okay, I believe, um, okay, what were the options again? Uh, golden Retriever, Beagle, German Shepherd, or Terrier? I think it was a Beagle. Uh, Marianne, do you want to give an answer? Do you know? I'm going to do Terrier. Are you 100% behind the Terrier? Yes. And Patricia, you want to say our sound effect is not going. I don't know where. All right. Patricia, what's the answer? Well, I am the terrier. The terrier is the answer? Our, our sound effects yes. are going crazy right now. A white terrier became the first <laughs> dog to receive insulin by Frederick Banting and Charles Best Laboratory on July 30th, 1921 in Canada. Incredible, right? That's amazing. And, Patricia, I have one last question for you because we've been kind of addressing this topic from a type 1 uh, population and not a type 2. But um, in either case, a lot of people, uh, when I was looking at myths and misconception around insulin, think that insulin causes a weight gain. Uh, what is, is that true or false? Well, it can be true. Um, there are insulins that do cause weight gain. Um, it just and, and, you know, insulin... Actually, because the cells are dehydrated with high blood sugars and insulin um, kind of corrects that. So hunger is a part of one of the side effects of, uh, that people who take insulin will sometimes have. And so sometimes the appetite increases once they start taking insulin. But if insulin is indicated to keep blood sugars at that normal range, and if insulin is definitely a necessary component of a person with type 1, then we can't avoid it. And there are some side effects that are just not um, as severe as the cure. And so we have to look and weigh the benefits of using insulin and take whatever precaution necessary to avoid the weight gain or to manage it. Yeah, I could add, this is Mary Ann, I could add a little bit of information to that, which, and I appreciate these responses, it's so interesting. Um, insulin is a hormone, as we know, and it's considered a storage hormone. That's the way to look at it. It stores things in the body. So it not only stores or moves sugar into your blood sugar into your cells, putting it, moving it inside the cells, it also moves uh, fat in your fat cells, because that, that's the nature of this hormone. Um, it stores fat in fat cells. And so um, that's why that's one of the main reasons we see this kind of this weight gain when initially when people start using insulin. But from what I've seen in my practice and what I've read, it, that that's self-limiting. It doesn't go on forever and ever and ever. The body adjusts to that. You know, the body has a circadian rhythm and adjusts to its its different environmental and biological happenings. And and then again, educating, getting the patient getting diabetes education. So they understand the physiology, the biology, and then as the other speaker said, monitoring your food intake and eating more of a low-fat diet 
and, you know, avoiding things that are really high calorie, all that plays into it. So controlling the weight is very possible. It's very doable. Uh, so people who have to take insulin, type 1 or type 2s, that should not dissuade them, especially with type 1s, you have to take it. But even type 2s, that weight gain is self-limiting, and there's so many lifestyle things you can do to prevent that. So it, it really is a, a non-issue in the end. Right. Well, great advice. And I want to. we're out of time, so I want to thank all my guests for being a part of the show tonight. Allison Bailey, thank you for joining us. Jessica Clark, Marion yep, Horowitz. Uh, Patricia Addy Gensel. Make sure to tune in next month for National Diabetes Awareness Month when we've got a new diva coming up. But right now we're going to close the show with Destiny Child's rendition of Amazing Grace. Before we do, I just want to mention the recent passing of two fabulous divas, Diane Carroll and Jesse Norman, who performed Amazing Grace at the Kennedy Honor Ceremony with Sydney Pointier. Here's Amazing Grace. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you. Amazing Whoa.